E-commerce isn't just an aspect of growing a successful wine business, it is crucial. And that's why I strongly recommend working with Offset Partners. As a proudly independent e-commerce technology and brand design company based in wine country, Offset understands the operational nuances and the customer service imperatives that distinguish a great online buying experience from a mediocre one. And that's why leading and legendary brands like Saxum, Arnott Roberts, and Kermit Lynch Wine Merchant choose Offset's proprietary commerce technology platform to power their DTC sales. If you're an allocated winery or a high-touch merchant that values an elegant, effective commerce solution for both you, your customers, and your team, reach out to the smart team at offsetpartners.com. That's O-F-F-S-E-T, partners with an S, dot com, to craft a better direct-to-consumer experience. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. Stelios Butaris on the show today. Hello, sir. How are you? Hi. How are you, Levy? Nice to have you here. Thank you. So your family has, for a while now, owned a Kiriani estate in western Greece. Northwestern Greece, yes. Kiriani estate uh, located on, um, in Nausa, the appellation of Nausa, uh, one of the oldest appellations in Greece. It is situated about 100 kilometers west of Thessaloniki. And it was your dad who purchased that property? Yes, he purchased the property in the 60s. Uh, my family has been making wine for five generations now. My great-great-grandfather started in 1879. He was the first one to bottle Greek wine and sell it under the Nausa appellation. Back then, uh, during the Ottoman years, I mean, Greece was not liberated at that time, North Greece, most of the wine was sold in bulk uh, without any branding whatsoever. Uh, however, Salonika, uh, Thessaloniki, always was a very much of a cosmopolitan town. Which is the city in northern Greece. city of northern Greece, the largest city of Greece. And your dad's the mayor there. These days, yes. <laughs> anyway, um, at, at that time, he, uh, my great-grandfather, he would take champagne bottles, huge champagne bottles, and actually you know, wash them up and bottle Butari Nausa at that time and sell it in the local market. Because it's funny, we think about Greece making wine for forever, for being one of the first cultures to ever make wine. And yet, it, in some ways, it seems like modern Greek wine is more of a recent phenomenon. Oh, absolutely. I always say that uh, we have um, a great history. Yeah, we have the, the god of wine, Dionysus. <laughs> uh, however, we had a very short tradition. That's why very often I also uh, call the wines of Greece the new old world. Because it's very old in the sense that you know, wine has been made forever there. Everywhere in Greece, uh, uh, grapes grow. However, it's very new in the sense that it's very new in the market. If you think about it, it's only since the, night, the late... I mean, we've, we've been exporting wine since the 40s, right? However, uh, in the world wine scene, the Greek wines have only made it the last uh, 10 years, 15, 20 years, I would say. Which is kind of amazing in a way. That well, yeah, you know what happened? I mean, Greek wine always had uh, what I call an easy market. In the 60s, a lot of Greeks had to leave Greece and go to the U.S., you know, Chicago and New York, big Greek populations, Australia, Germany, Belgium, Canada, 
Because of various wars in Greece. Uh, because war. of this, after the civil war, you know, like the country was completely devastated. There was not really work. Everybody was quite poor. So we had to, um, they had to leave. Now, all, a lot of these guys opened up restaurants, but the traditional Greek uh, low-end taverna, they needed a lot of Greek wine and they would, we would sell a lot of wine there. But we were, we fall on our own trap in, in a way that this guy didn't want good wine. They wanted cheap wine. So a lot, a lot of the cheap wine was exported. And this created a vicious circle. You know, the, an American, for example, go to a Greek restaurant, they would drink mediocre wines. Uh, they would have the idea that Greek wine is of, of lesser quality. This has changed a lot the last 20 years. Uh, these days, um, the wines from Santorini, from the Asitico grape, or from Nausa, the Exinomavro grape, from the Peloponnese, Moscofilero, and um, Ayorgitico, and with a lot of new producers, and old ones as well, we see a lot of very, very interesting wines. Almost exotic. <laughs> your family roots are the Butari winery, which right. your dad was a part of. Mm -hmm. And they championed wines from different parts of Greece at different wineries within Greece. They had different facilities. The Butari, at one point, was the largest winery in Greece. Still is probably, if not the largest, the second largest. And uh, my father always believed in the appellation. Started from Nausa. But then he went to Santorini, he went to Nemea, he went to Mandinia, he went to Paros, to Crete. So in the end, they had like seven wineries. It was very important to be very close to the area where you produce the grapes. Uh, you want to make sure the grapes come very quickly to the winery. But more than that, you know, you want to be part of the culture, of the local culture. So Butari has been a winery with many, many different, you know, being in everywhere in Greece, really. Your dad actually kind of affected how Santorini entered into the market in the modern age. Yes, Santorini is, a, is um, an island uh, in the south of the Aegean, a uh, very volcanic island. And traditionally, it was, it was all planted with grapes. However, most of the wine, most of the grapes and the wine made there was harvested after September 15th. Now, September 15th is a big um, a celebration in Greece, so everybody waited till September 15th, and then they harvested. As a result, wines were of very high alcohol level and very often oxidized. Because it's hot and dry there. Ha very hot and dry. The wines of Santorini were used mostly by big wineries in mainland Greece for the highest city they have. So they would buy the in bulk and really blend it, in their own blends, and so there was never like an appellation there. Although there was an appellation, there was no, never really any serious wine. My father went for vacation in 83, and suddenly, you know, approaching from the plane, uh, he sees uh, an island that's full of vineyards. So he decides to go and, <laughs> and build a winery, and that's what he did. And the first thing he did that made a whole, whole of a difference is that, one, he doubled the prices he used to pay to growers, and second, he brought harvest date much, much earlier. Now in Santorini, they will harvest August 10th, maybe earlier. The wines have uh, much more, they, they keep the minerality, they're much fresher, much crisper. The acidity is much more intense. Because the Certico is odd in that it keeps acidity even at high ripeness levels. So it had acidity back then, but now that's even more showcased. Oh, yes, 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 absolutely. I mean, I think the, uh, the, the, the acidity it has makes it a great food wine. Um, the minerality it has 
Asiltico is actually the variety of Greece, I would say. You know, I'm, I'm a Xenomaver producer. Uh, however, I always say that Asiltico is the one variety that is spearheading the Greek wine revolution. It seems like it's the one that's made the most market presence in New York, at least. Oh, absolutely. In, in New York, mostly. I mean, you go, you go everywhere in New York and you find an Asiltico wine. We've been planting Asiltico in the north of Greece, in mainland street, uh, Greece as well. And I think we're going to see some very nice results out of there as well. Yeah, like Zero Vasily. Your Vasiliu has it, yes. I mean, we planted in Amindion. In oh, the, is that true? In oh, yes, yes, yes. Actually, we just harvested. Because <laughs> you have two facilities. One's right. In, uh, in, uh, in Aosa, we have our, our major estate, Kiriani estate, 58 hectare estate. And in Amindion, we have another 18 hectares and a facility and a crushing facility there. In terms of Kiriani, your dad bought it in the 60s, and it was kind of a secret for that he kept from his family. Well, um, as I said, uh, Butai at that time, my grandfather, was a negociant. He would go out and buy grapes or buy wines and bottle them under the Butai label. My father was in, more in production, so he always believed that, you know, you made a good wine in the winery, but you make a great wine in the vineyard. So he wanted to control the land. Of course, my, my, my grandfather at times, like, you know, he, he wouldn't allow him to get, you know, he, he told him, you're not a peasant, you know, you don't get dirty in our business. You know, you were a suit in the business. I mean, we're in sales and marketing. Anyway, my father got out there, bought, uh, found the land. It was actually a, a private forest. So he, he bought about 50 hectares, uprooted it, and, um, and planted it uh, with uh, vines. Because when you're standing there, what you see a lot on the other hills is forest. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're in the middle of a forest there. And uh, actually, I bought another eight hectares from the daughter of the person that my father bought in the 60s. Oh, okay. It was great. <laughs> it was really great. And uh, anyway, I, uh, you know, he wrote out a check to the guy back then, and uh, my, my grandfather, I'm telling you, was very, very upset. <laughs> but here we are now, and this is the most valuable part of uh our business. And eventually there was a split between your dad and the family wine. Well, like in many wine families, you know, I mean, uh, sometimes um, egos uh, get way uh, out of the way, right? And um, so in 1996, my uncle and my father had an amicable uh, split. My uncle kept the Butari business, still doing well. And um, my father bought from my uncle this vineyard that he had Planted in the 60s. That's happening in 96. So he didn't want to come out with, you know, another Butari, you know, have the big Butari and the small Butari. So he decided to use his first name, Yanni. However, he used it as Kiryani. Kiryani in Greek means um, Kyrios is sir, well, mister, right? But when you cut the Kyrios to Kir and you use the first name like Kiryani, it's a very amicable way of, of addressing somebody with a lot of, uh, when you're very friendly to him, but, with, but you respect him also a lot. So all the growers throughout Greece, grape growers throughout Greece, always called uh, my, my father Kiriani, right? I mean, because he was always close to them, you know, to the cafes, to the vineyards, always. So they would, but they had a lot of respect for him because he knew what he was talking about. He always kept his word on prices and all that, uh, or timing of payments and all that. Uh, at the same time, she was always very close. When was the first commercial vintage for Kiriani? 97. 97 was the first vintage that actually was vinified and bottled in the estate. We have 95, 96. These are uh, vintages that were actually uh, vinified and bottled in the big Butari facilities. 
Oh, I see. You know, so yeah. However, 97, that was a time, 96, they split. Uh, 97, he took this old uh, tractor house that was in the middle of the vineyard and turned it into a winery. The same thing he did in Amindion because he bought some vineyards there as well that he had planted back in the 90s. He bought this really, really, really old winery uh, that was completely run down. It was literally a shack, you know, like a completely run down winery. The reason he bought it, though, is because he had, he had all the licenses and the permits. So he bought that, and uh, that's why he calls the wines, the entry-level wines from Porquiriani, from Amindion, they're called Paranga. Paranga in Greek means the shack. Oh, okay. <laughs> he, he wanted to call it Chateau Paranga. I said, like, let's call it only Paranga. So how should I understand the difference between Amindio and Nusa? That's two different. Well, uh, actually, there are two regions, right? Two appellations. On two sides of Mount Vermion, on a straight line, they're not more than uh, 50 kilometers away from each other. However, there's a big mountain (laughs) between them. In both um, regions, the variety Xenomavro grows. Xenomavro or Xenomavro um, is uh, the variety that grows everywhere in northwestern Greece. In Aosa, the climate is Mediterranean. In Amindon, the climate is almost continental. In Aosa, the soils are much richer, clay. In Amindon, the soils are sandy. In Aosa, the, the Appalachian stands around, I mean, our vineyard starts from 100 to 300 meters elevation. In Amindon, you 700 plus so these small differences create wines with a very different character. I would say that in Aosa, the wines are bigger, more tannic, uh, longer aging. In Amindio, they are more elegant, they are more spicy, uh, they have uh, a lighter color. So there are differences be- between the two. Also in Amindio, you have the appellation of for rosé, and also the only appellation for rosé in Greece, and sparkling rosé. You have great results from uh, sparkling Xenomavro uh, out there. So the Amindio facility is largely white and red wines and some Xenomavro for both the rosé and some red. Yes, we planted in the 90s, we we planted some whites. I mean, the region is really a cold uh, wine production region, so it's great for whites, great aromatic whites. So in the 90s, planted a little bit of um, the international varieties like Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, Wurstramina, Mostly for the local market, but also we planted Roditis, Malagusia, and uh, Acertico. So we focus on our whites in Amindio and our rosés, but also we make some red as well. I mean, uh, we make a red from um, 60-year-old vines, some of them ungrafted. So it's quite interesting. Because it's in sand. and so Right. We can so a lot, yes, yes, you, have, you have some of the, that uh, prefiloxera. So Roditis is a great variety. What's that like to grow? Uh, Roditis is one of those varieties that grow everywhere in Greece. It's quite easy to grow, not very susceptible to disease. It has a good yield, so it's for growers it's a great variety. Uh, when grown in plateaus and, and it's heavily irrigated, it gives really high yields. The wines are usually flabby, not very interesting, usually used for retina. However, when grown in altitudes, like in Amindion or in Trapeza, in Ayalia, in the, in the north of the Peloponnese. Roditis can give beautiful results. Nice, crispy wines, nice lemon uh, freshness to it. You know, wines that taste like wine. <laughs> and then Malaguzia. Malaguzia is it's a variety that, on the contrary to Roditis, 
is very susceptible to disease, very difficult to grow. So, uh, however, has a fantastic uh, results in good years. Now you have Malaguzia grown everywhere in Greece. Go the north, you go the south. There's always uh, something going on there on Malaguzia. However, it's, it's not an easy variety to grow. Yerwasili uh, is one of the best producers about it. And it has more textural character sometimes than other grape varieties that are white from Greece. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it has a better, better body. You know, I mean, some of it is barrel fermented. It gives a nice full structure body to it. Beautiful nose. Very often you get these muscat flavors to it, but much more refined, much more elegant. Back in Nusa, at the kind of core for the red wine production of the estate, right? you have Xenomavro planted in different mm-hmm. blocks. You've Right. I mean, mostly Zinomavro. Zinomavro, uh, the vineyard was planted between 68 and 72 from plants taken from Amindio. Then in in the 90s, uh, my father planted a little bit of uh, Syrah and Merlot. Syrah, I think, has uh, showed very, very well in in North Greece. Merlot, not so well. Merlot is um, early ripening. So very often, especially in hot years, you might have uh, really high sugar levels, high alcohol wines without the phenolic ripeness. That's why it's mostly used for blending. But Syrah has adopted very, very well. Now, I did my little re- re- revolution because my father never wanted Cabernet. I like Cabernet. So I planted some Cabernet <laughs> about four years ago. And so we're seeing some Cabernet action also now in, uh, in, uh, in, in Ausa. However, the vineyard is mostly planted with uh, Xnomavro. Half of it has been replanted. But some older parcels will always be there. It's great to have 50-year-old vines. And it's split in 48 different parcels. See, now so it's much more, um, it, it's a little bit like Burgundy. It's, it's very much vineyard-driven and not commune-driven. You know, you won't say that the region of Gastra is very similar grapes or, or similar style wines compared to the Bolanera, for example, or Trilofos. You would have to find the right vineyard. So we're very lucky in our vineyard, we have all sorts of different soils, acidic soils, are great for, which are great for, for Syrah, for example. I mean, they're not very good for Xenomavro, actually, to put it correctly. They are good for light Xenomavro, Xenomavros that have great color and great nose. So this, the, the, these grapes will be vinified separately. Probably we'll see no wood. Uh, then they will use in the final blend. Other parcels that with um, lower acid, clay with a high percentage of cultures, this is great for Xenomavro to age. So this would all also be vinified separately. Uh, what we've seen with Xenomero, we always use, use a double sorting table, you know, sorting, destemming, sorting again. We use the big pizzazz, um vats. So we use pizzazz, we, we push down the, the cap instead of pumping over the wine. We've seen that this is great for Xenomero. We've seen that uh, fermentation in wood also adds a lot of it, takes away a lot of the green or very harsh tannins that we usually have. These are all practices we've been doing lately, and we see the results. Because in some instances, Xenomavro can be a little harsh on the tannins. Oh, yeah. Xenomavro is a, is a difficult variety. It's like Pinot Noir a little bit. You know, you have to do a lot of work in the vineyard. Uh, a lot of people say it's also a little bit like Nebbiolo. It's nothing to do with it. It's just the style of wines that are quite similar. You know, big uh, tannin structure, high acidity, good aging potential. But Xenomavro is a, is a variety that, again, is very difficult to grow. If you overdo it, it's very prolific and can they, they give a lot of grapes. We try to put this down. Some of our older vineyards, you know, they give like 25, 30 hectoliters per hectare. Really nice, beautiful fruit. 
Also, you have to be very careful during the growing season. You want to avoid xenomavirus bunches that are big. Uh, usually, they would be nice and red on the top, but uneven ripening in the on the, the, the bottom. Um, they will be the, the the berries will be squeezed to each other. That's that's a way to get diseases, botrytis, and all that. So we try to f- make xenomavirus that are small berries, very loosely uh, hang together. Evenly sized berries, they give like really, really, really great fruit. And did you see a difference between the Masal Xenomavro that you took from Amindio and the clonal selections that were planted later? Absolutely. One of the things that we've been trying and we'll be trying to master with Xenomavro uh, has been um, the, the acidity and the high tannin levels. So, always what we've been doing lately, we always harvest like the first week of October. Now, what happens then is that you have Acidity dropping naturally, of course. If the tannins being riper, however, we have high sugar levels, and this is something we not we don't we don't like. We don't like fifteen degree alcohol wines. So what are you going to do? The work we've done with our agronomist Harula Vithiropoulou, who also has her own winery actually, Argatia, she found that the six clones of Xenomavros, and we uh, we've been planting the two of them. We've been planting lately to the vineyard. And we see some beautiful results. The wines, I mean, they, they're still young, so we cannot have the full spectrum of, of results. However, we see that we get the phenolic ripeness we need, we get it in the end of September, without the high alcohol level, and also without a risk of rain. <laughs> so you make the wines today, but there's been some changes in winemaking at Kiriani over the years, and how has that worked out? The winemaker has always been my father. He worked with Angelo Siatridis from Alpha Estate. He has his own estate in Amindion, beautiful estate now. And he worked for us, and then he went out and did his, his own thing. My father loved doing that. He always had wine, well, I mean, enologists and agronomists next to him, and they, he always pushed them to go out and do their own thing. That's what happened. Yanis Voyadzis, Voyadzi Estate in Velvedo, Hadzidakis uh, uh, in Santorini, Paraskevopoulos in, uh, in Yeah Estate in Santorini and Nemea. All these guys used to work for us. And now they're doing a great job. And we like that. So it was Angelo Siatridis. Then for a while it was my brother, fresh out of UC Davis. Then we have a stint of different winemakers, I mean, enologists really, always uh, under my father. 2004, I decided to join the business. I was in sales, I was doing other things as well, so I decided to join the business. That's what I did. And the first thing my father did, he left. <laughs> so he left me doing this job. And we are a team, our enologists, Adonis and Damos, our cellar master, and Harula, our agronomist, and myself, we're a team of four. And um, it's a group decision, you know? We always, uh, we have this rule. We always have to agree 100% in order to proceed with the final blend. So these days when I taste the 2010 Ramnista mm-hmm. from Kiriani, it seems different to me in structure and the way the tannins and acids are than the late or mid-90s wines. Oh, absolutely. Uh, back then it was, um, the wines are a little bit more rustic, I would say. Back you know, then. more uh, older style winemaking, you know, long extractions and a um, lot of wood aging. I think they lacked a little bit of fruit. These wines were nice, are nice now after like 20 years sitting on the bottle. On this, uh, uh, however, this is very difficult. These days, you know, who keeps wine in a cellar, right? Who has a cellar? <laughs> so um, we've been experimenting a little bit. I would say that we have the first period up to 
99 was wines like that. Then we had the second period, 2003, where my brother at that time did a lot of work in the vineyard and identified the different plots. And we've been going kind of back and forth on playing with the fruit. And um, I would say that in Nausa, you have a very similar debate like Barolo. You know, you have the modernist, fruitier wine, barrique, and you have the traditionalists, you know, the big barrels of wines to age and brownish color and all that. And Nausa were the same. I would say that um, in Nausa, he produces like Thymnopoulos, for example, who's much more modern. You have Fudis, who's much more traditional. Uh, we're in between. And to, to be honest, I mean, we've been playing around with the style. I mean, we haven't really found out. What is important for me is to have a nice balance and a nice elegance in the wine. And so you need the fruit. You need the, uh, the acidity. You need the tiny structure that will hold it over the years to age. At the same time, they have to be ripe. They have to be soft. They have to be present, but not aggressive. And you need the fruit as well. You need, I mean, people like fruity wines. I mean, you got to have the fruit, dense fruit on, on, on the mouth. The nose of Xenomava is fantastic. I mean, there's no question about that. What do you find when you smell a Xenomava? But uh, you have all these red, red forest fruit that comes out. Um, in, tra- in more traditional styles, you have the tomato, you have the olives. When it ages, you get the dry fig, you get the barnyard smell, the tobacco box, uh, you know, all these beautiful uh, smells that m- make it unique. Do you find a lot of vintage variation in Nusa? Well, in general, in Greece, we don't have a big vintage variation. You know, more or less year in, year out, more or less the climate is kind of um, steady, you know. Very rarely you would have uh, like hail in July. Well, we did this year. I'll come back to that. (laughs) But that's very rarely. You have that once in 20, 30 years. So you have like nice, easy Mediterranean climate. So you don't have a big vintage variation. In Nausa, since we're kind of north and we're close to the mountain and all that, we would have... We would have like maybe uh, one vintage in 10 that's going to be bad. We'd have like three, four that are okay, but then you you would have good vintages. You know, it's we don't have big, big vintage variation in Greece. In our wines, you would find variation because it's a style that differs from, as you said, from 2004, for example, the 2007 great year. Uh, we decided to play with less oak at that time. Then 2008, we harvest a bit later, so it's a bit more dense, the fruit. So it wasn't really the, the year, it was more like the winemaking technique to apply it. But now we, we know where we stand, and I think you're going to see a steady flow of vintages the next few years. For example, uh, wood aging, you know, barrel treatment. Uh, that's something that has been changing a lot lately. We're dropping the new oak, uh, moving to 500-liter barrels, not to 225, bringing down the, 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 the time the wine stays uh, in, in wood. I mean, wood is great. It dresses up the wine. You need it. On the other hand, you would don't like to overdo it. Where is that wood sourced from? Where does that come from? Oh, that's all French, French oak. It's all French oak. French oak, yeah. yeah. And we've been working with a number of houses. You know, with wood, the same with cork. You don't play around. You know, it's it's. Uh, I think these are the two most important material that you put on the on the wine, right? I mean, for example, with cork, we work with the same company for like three generations now. You know, they take care of us. We take care of them. <laughs> and how do you find that Xenomavro responds to wood as a grape variety? 
It's because it's not a heavily fruity wine, and not, it's more like a Pinot Noir. It's more like a wine that has elegance to it rather than body and, and structure. I would say that you have to be very careful with the wood treatment. If uh, we've seen uh, wines that go to 100% new oak, they completely uh, lose their style, and all you taste is oak. For example, though, on the other hand, we have um, uh, another wine called the Diaparos, uh, which comes from Block Five. Block Five is one of the better blocks. 50-year-old vines overlooking the small lake that's in the winery. Great inclination, great drainage. Always been producing great grapes. Now, we try to vinify separately. Now, the, this wine, yes, it will take 20%, 25% new oak, and it will get better with new oak, but not all of Xenomoro. What about trellising and pruning? Mm-hmm. How does that work with a grape variety like Xenomoro? Okay, Xenomoro is very prolific, so you, you we always want to think of Snowmobile are not like a bodybuilder, but rather like a marathon runner. So you really have to be very careful in pruning and really make it work hard, really try to have a balance between the root system and the foliage. What we have been doing lately is we've been trying to make the leaf higher by 50, 60 centimeters. That's pretty higher. Uh, it's like much, much higher, right? So, that we can, we, so the roots will go even deeper. Okay. You see that the, the balance between these two is very, very important. So a higher trellis leads to a right, deeper root right, system. Right, 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 right. What have you seen for the ageability of Zeno Mavro? And between the Butari winery that's made mm-hmm. Nusa for a long period of time mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then the Kiriani winery, which you own, there's been some distance of vintages there. What do you think it can do over time as well, a grape variety? Well, Xenomara is one of those varieties that is one of the dynamics, one of the things of the variety is, is uh, its aging potential. Drink now the 97 Ramnista or the 2001 Ramnista, and they drink young and fresh, and they still have some power to it. So definitely, Snowboard is a variety to be aged. And you know, a lot of people say, you know, you know I go to tastings, and uh, people taste the wine, and say, oh, this is great. You know, this wine you should put down. <laughs> or very interesting, you know, oh, I hate that. <laughs> you know, um, that's why what we're trying to do is try to make wines that can be drunk today, but at the same time, have the aging potential. And Xnomoro does have that. And what about Syrah? You mentioned that you've had some good results with it. Oh, that. yeah, yeah. Syrah is uh, one of those varieties that is done very well in Greece. Everywhere in Greece, mostly in the north. Also in the Peloponnese, I would say. Uh, it has adopted very well to our state. Uh, we have a wine called Dio Elias. It's the two olive trees. Because it takes a name from the two olive trees that are in the middle of the vineyard. Uh, southeast exposure great plots. Uh, the wine doesn't come in America yet. However, it's, uh, it, it's a Syrah that, like the South Iran, really dense fruit, nice, beautiful, great color. Syrah has adopted very, very well in Greece. And what do you think the outlook is for Greek reds in the international market going forward? Well, I, I, I dare to say that so far Greek whites have done much better than the Greek reds. No, whites, uh, wines that uh, are made in the winery, right? I mean, the reds, you have to have the good fruit. There's no, there's no messing around in the winery. You know, the less you do it in the winery, the better you are. So I would say that Greek whites, from international varieties like Sauvignon Blanc, or, or, but mostly for, for Greek varieties, like the Asirtiko and the Malagusia and the Moscofilero from Peloponnese, a very much like a Pinot Grigio-style wine, uh, have done very well. And actually, you look at the pricing of these wines, and usually it's between you know, $12 and, and $25 on the shelf. I mean, for that kind of price, I mean, the great values as well. Now, 
you look for the Reds, we still have a long way to go. You know, um, our good Reds are quite expensive. Well, not for, for our U.S. standards, but anyway. <laughs> but um, yes, there with this, the outlook is good. We're not there yet. And uh, however, we're going to see a lot of things coming from um, the Peloponnese, from the region of Nemea. Going to have also from uh, the, the variety called Mavro Tragano, always, also grown in Santorini, but in other places as well. And, uh, and of course, Xenomavro. Is the consumer for wine is within Greece different than outside of? Greece? Oh, absolutely! You know, we we sell wine to twenty countries, and we hope this number will be forty in, in the next three years. It's completely different. You go to China, they bring only red, an expensive red, or very expensive. They buy it like they're buying a Louis Vuitton bag, or they're buying it like very cheap stuff. They don't care what they drink. You go to uh, to Greece, there is a country where only Greek wine is sold not a lot of imported wine. People are not very knowledgeable and they're very brand-oriented. You go to America, it's a completely different story. You know, in America, Greek wines are almost exotic. You know, they, they look for a variety, they look for indigenous varieties. In Greece, they would look for international varieties. You know, you would have a brand that would sell. They don't care about the drink, really, uh, they, as long as they drink the brand they like. And this is because we Greece has been very much of a branded market the last few years. The notion of a sommelier or a wine buyer does not really exist, unfortunately. And what should I be drinking a grape variety like Xenomavro with? What kind of food does mm-hmm. that complement? Well, uh, Xenomavro is definitely a food-friendly wine. You know, the high acidity, the, the tannin structure needs food. It's not a wine that you just sit around and on the porch and just <laughs> sip out a glass or two. Even the rosé version of it, and Xenomavro makes a great rosé, has like a serious structure to it, good acidity, natural acidity, and even like a little tannins. It tastes like uh, light red. The big reds, they, they need like really um, big foods as well. Meats, quite oily, you know, a big steak or something in a stew cooked. The very intense taste of the food will balance out the taste of the wine. The city of Xenomero will cut right through the fats, and I think we have a nice balance to it. And should I be thinking about decanting a Xenomavro usually? Or? The older vintages, yes, I would say so. Definitely, they're definitely the older vintages. Although, um, you know, you open it today and you leave it in the bottle a couple of days, I mean, it's even better. <laughs> it needs the oxygen. <laughs> what about the 2014 vintage? A lot of people in Europe have had trouble with it. I remember when I was visiting in 2014 in Greece, it seemed like there was a fair amount of rain now and again. Yeah. Well, it's one of those years. Remember I said earlier that, you know, there's no hail in Greece in, in July? Well, this year we had hail. On July 22nd, we had um, a terrible hail that completely ripped apart our vineyard. We were, thank God, not to the whole area, but we were like in the center of the of hail. Then, so we had a lot of problems, a lot of, we weren't, we, we thought that we wouldn't have, wouldn't collect anything. Then we had a very dry August, beautiful August. However, we had a very, very wet September. September, it rained more than 250 millimeters. One day, September 6, it rained 120 millimeters, when in the whole year, we don't have more than 600. So uh, this wet September completely killed our, our, our vineyard. The vineyard, so I would say, was bad. <laughs> you know, not a lot of winemakers say that, you know, I dare to say that. It was one of those vintages you want to forget. And what about the community in Nausa? In terms of the growers, how big is it? Who's there? And- Nausa, uh, 
always had a tradition in grape growing. In the 60s, uh, a lot of these grape growers uh, left the grapes and started uh, planting peach trees. It's also a great peach tree tradition. And actually, one of the reasons my, my father planted the vineyard at that time is to show everybody that she's there forever. And, you know, guys, follow me, follow me, because, you know, I'm going to be buying your grapes. So over the years, uh, he, he knew all the growers. And uh, when he would see a good vineyard or a good grower, he would always tell him, you know, do your own thing. You know, I'll give you bottles. I'll give you, um, you, you can use my lab, bottle your own wine. His idea was that you cannot have an appellation with one producer. You needed size. You needed more and more and more producers. Uh, imagine you had in Barolo only Gaia, for example. You know, I mean, now we have like 800 producers in Barolo. So now you suddenly you have somebody, something going there. So all these producers, little by little, these grape growers became winemakers. So now we are 18 of us. We just created uh, the NAUSA Producer Association. And uh, we've been doing a few things in, to promote the NAUSA region, I would say. You have to make sure that what you do is good for everybody, not just for yourself. Kiriani has been there for about 20 years now. Looking forward, what do you think will happen in the next 20 years for your estate? Just planted more vineyards. So, you know, in, in, in our business, we say we don't plant a vineyard for your son. You plant it for your grandson or your granddaughter, right? So for me, if you ask me, we're on the right track. I mean, meaning we know where we're going. We're not there yet. Sonoma Road, we're not there yet. However, I strongly believe that in the next 10 years, Sonoma Road will find its place. Sonoma Road Wines and Kiriani, of course, as well, uh, will find its place on the worldwide scene, being like the ambassador of Greek red wine. And this is something that's not only for Sonoma Road or Kiriani, it's all for all of Greek wine. We're doing the right things to build Greece as a whole, as a modern winemaking region. And this is very, very important. Uh, now, with Kiriani, yeah, we hope we're going to be one of those people who are going to be at the forefront of this development. Stelios Butaris, he's looking to be at the forefront of the Nusa Appalachian in northwestern Greece. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you, Levi. Thank you. Stelios Butaris of the Kiriani Estate in Greece. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website all drink to that pod.com that's i l l drink to that p o d.com which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating you can donate from anywhere using paypal or stripe on the show website remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app please that's super important to see every episode and thank you for listening so why is it Butari and, and Butaris? Why is that? Well, uh, in Greek, you decline the names. So, you know, it's buta Stelios. I mean, if you talk, I am Stelios Butaris, the S in the end. This phone belongs to Stelio Butari. Oh, okay. Stelio. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm calling you. It's Stelio. Yeah. So it's... 
<laughs> it's, it's like German kind of everything changes in the end. So it's like saying that you own that winery. That winery is right. So, so the wine is belong to Butari, right? <laughs>